From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Welcome to Prognosis. I'm Laura Carlson. It's day 41 since coronavirus was declared a global pandemic. Our main story? U.S. hospitals have turned directly to Chinese manufacturers to obtain badly needed masks for healthcare workers. But the skyrocketing demand has created a Wild West scenario. Profiteering middlemen ratchet up prices, and buyers sometimes go to extraordinary lengths to try to ensure quality. But first, here's what happened today. The White House and Congress have agreed on a new pandemic relief plan that will inject funds into a tapped-out small business aid program and offer aid for coronavirus testing and overwhelmed hospitals. President Donald Trump said he'd sign the measure and begin discussions on a next round of stimulus. The measure could be approved by Congress as soon as Thursday. The Justice Department will consider taking legal action against governors who continue to impose stringent rules for dealing with the coronavirus after the crisis subsides in their states, according to Attorney General William Barr. In an interview on The Hugh Hewitt Show Tuesday, Barr said measures like stay-at-home orders and directives to shut down businesses are justified up to a point, but states should eventually move to more targeted measures. The comments come as the Trump administration and states are fighting over the best strategy to deal with the crisis. Trump has stoked tensions with some Democratic governors who have defended strict social distancing rules, even as his administration backs guidelines calling for states to reopen gradually. Earlier today, President Donald Trump suggested in a tweet that his administration will bail out the oil industry. Oil is the latest sector to fall victim to cratering demand because of the coronavirus. Yesterday, the price of a barrel of West Texas crude fell below zero for the first time in history. Trump tweeted today that he was ordering his secretaries of energy and the Treasury to make a plan to make money available to oil companies. The catalyst for yesterday's historic plunge in prices was a contract expiration date that left traders in a panic about having to take delivery of physical barrels. But the industry has struggled since widespread shutdowns killed the demand for fuel. An estimated 9% of drilling and refining jobs were lost in March. The oil price slide continued today, suggesting it's the massive glut in the market causing the rout, rather than any technical quirk. Finally, 
a new roadmap for restarting the economy, suggests the U.S. would have to increase its testing capability by 10 to 50-fold from its current levels. Today, the Rockefeller Foundation released a plan that would partially reopen the economy once major investments in healthcare had been made. The plan, which would cost as much as $90 billion a month, calls for 100 to 300,000 new public health workers to create an adequate testing and contact tracing program. Rajiv Shah, the foundation's president, says doing this would allow the economy to partially reopen until a vaccine is widely available, and thus would pay for itself within a month. And now, our main story. The shortages of protective masks that keep healthcare workers safe from COVID-19 are well documented by now. American hospital companies trying to meet the need have turned to a fast-growing, often chaotic, mask market that has sprung up in China. Reporter Riley Griffin recently reported on the hospital groups and companies desperate for suppliers and the strange measures they are taking to secure masks and spot fakes. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Why have we been seeing this surge for the N95 in particular? And what kind of companies are working to alleviate this new demand? So the N95 respirator is a type of mask that is so named because it filters out at least 95% of airborne particles of this certain size. It's become a tool used on the front lines to prevent doctors and nurses from contracting COVID-19. So during normal times, this FDA-approved device, really, it, it isn't typically worn by so many medical staff. Now, as you've mentioned, demand has surged to unprecedented levels. One account has a 17-fold surge in demand. And that's happening just as domestic supply has dwindled. So hospitals treating COVID-19 patients have actually found they only have a three-day supply. And big manufacturers of N95 respirators like 3M, what they have done is ramp up and work to double production. But this domestic supply is simply not enough to account for what's needed in U.S. hospitals. And that's the cold hard truth. We've seen some institutions, other organizations actually turn to China for these items. So I'm wondering if you might be able to explain how China's manufacturers have mobilized to meet this new, I mean, beyond the U.S., but a global demand. So China has always been a massive manufacturer of medical supplies, but now it's really at the center of this global gold rush for respirators. But remember, the country was the first to be hit hard by the coronavirus pandemic. 
when their own manufacturing shut down, they turned to Japan, to South Korea, even the U.S. for masks. Now, more recently, when the industry got up and running again, though, China's government encouraged facilities to make more personal protective equipment to meet domestic and foreign demand. And they've done just that. We've seen cosmetic makers, toy producers, even lingerie factories now producing respirators. These Chinese manufactured and regulated respirators go by a different name. And that's important to note. They are known as KN95s. And they're not FDA-approved products. They are regulated by the, the Chinese equivalent of our U.S. Food and Drug Administration. But since desperate times call for desperate measures, and the U.S. doesn't have enough manufacturing capacity, we've seen the U.S. Food and Drug Administration recently give an emergency use authorization for this Chinese product. But there does seem to be a bit of wariness about these Chinese-manufactured PPE or the Chinese-manufactured respirators. Can you explain why there is this hesitancy about using these very needed products? I think at the end of the day, working with Chinese manufacturers and intermediaries just comes with its own set of risks. Given how quickly the market is mobilizing, it's also become overrun with layers of profiteering middlemen, these bidding wars, prices that are are so volatile, they can range for a, a KN95 anywhere from um, you know, a buck fifty to twelve dollars, and that's still higher than they are in typical times. The root of it, too, is this concern about the goods quality. And U.S. regulators essentially have said they can't serve as a body that is able to sift out the bad apples here. And so, what can say the governments, hospitals, organizations do? You know, if they're willing to source these products from China. What are some of the steps that they can take or that they are taking to make sure these products are actually good or safe to use? So until fairly recently, guidance from the U.S. government agencies was inconsistent on whether China's version of respirators, these KN95s, were suitable for use. The FDA was allowing respirators made in other countries at first, but didn't include China on this list, this emergency use authorization list. That guidance came much more recently. They've since amended that, but are stating that hospitals and other buyers should be careful in considering the product they end up using, given these concerns about legitimacy of the product. In our story, we look at a company called Premier Inc., which serves as a group purchasing organization for more than 4,000 U.S. hospitals and health systems. It has more than $60 billion in purchasing power, and they knew that there simply wasn't enough U.S. product, so it, it scrambled to China. Some of the things that they're doing is actually using code words to first vet various facilities. So when they are screening manufacturing facilities, they have people on the ground at those facilities using gibberish that they've pre-planned to ultimately assure that the communication is real and the person on the other end of the screen is who they think they are. Once a facility has passed that initial test, Premier was deploying its employees based in Asia to these various facilities to actually go inspect KN95s on the line as they were packaged and as they were sent. And logistics also plays a big part of this. It's quite costly and difficult to be shipping these products out of China into the U.S., 
once that that product has arrived here domestically in the States, they've inspected that product again, and then they've worked with their own logistics companies to, to get product to various emergency rooms. But something that's worth underscoring, Laura, is that there's no clear playbook, and everybody is, is approaching this differently. Since U.S. regulators have taken somewhat of a backseat and, and pushed the risk towards U.S. hospitals, health systems, group purchasing organizations that are determining whether or not this product is legitimate, these entities have to make those decisions for themselves. So we're still seeing an influx of, of some faulty product here into the country. What is China doing to try and tamp down on these these fakes that are are popping up everywhere? Well, China has certainly faced some pressure to crack down on subpar suppliers, counterfeiters, and these unscrupulous middlemen that have been surging the prices by investigating cases of companies making fake or unreliable equipment and face masks. Um, the Chinese government actually announced this month that its customs agency would inspect every shipment of medical respirators and other medical protective clothing before they export. They've also worked to create lists, essentially, of what they see as legitimate manufacturers. These moves have led to reports in delayed shipments of product getting to the U.S., and there's some frustration about that, especially among buyers. But others say it's a much-needed layer of scrutiny into this market that has both good and bad product coming out quickly. What exactly is the rough timeline they're trying to shoot for in terms of someone making the respirators, verifying them, and then getting them, let's say, onto U.S. soil or to an emergency room? What is their goal for time frame? I think that will vary day to day, but the first shipment Premier was able to secure and bring to the U.S. touchdown in Chicago nine days after they had initiated a partnership with a Chinese manufacturing facility. So that was the timeline. Bake in a day or two for it to be delivered across the country from California to New York, perhaps to get to actual healthcare workers. But that nine-day timeline is is pretty quick. This is a, a company that usually takes months to vet products coming from outside the U.S., and they've never done this with KN95s before. I think that if you're a glass-half-full person, you look at Premier's work and you say, this is incredible. Look at American ingenuity and ability to, to look elsewhere and source quickly. If you're a glass-half-empty person, you're concerned that Every company is doing this on their own timeline, by their own standards, and, and you got to trust that they're doing it right. This is, a, this is the Wild West. That's how suppliers, traders, government officials have put it to me. It's every man for themselves, and you just have to be trusting of the entity you're working with to make sure that this is legitimate product. That was health reporter Riley Griffin. For more on the messy mask market in China, read Riley's April 15th story with Lauren Etter on Bloomberg.com. And that's our show. 
For more on the outbreak from 120 bureaus around the world, visit Bloomberg.com coronavirus. And one small favor. If you appreciate the show, please leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It's the best way to help more listeners find our global reporting. The Prognosis Daily Edition is hosted by me, Laura Carlson. The show was produced by me, Topher Forges, Jordan Gaspure, and Magnus Henriksen. Today's main story was reported by Riley Griffin. Original music by Leo Sidrin. Our editors are Francesca Levy and Rick Shine. Francesca Levy is Bloomberg's head of podcasts. Thanks for listening. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.